Welcome to River Life Podcasts. We're a church family embracing the Father's presence, releasing empowered people to declare and demonstrate Christ's kingdom. We trust that God would use what you hear today to bless and grow you so that you would be a blessing to those around you. For more information about River Life Baptist Church, go to riverlifechurch.org.au or find us on social media. You know, these times, they're so uncertain. There, there really is a lot going on. And you can feel the, the anxiety, the, the fear out in society is palpable. You, can, you get the sense that when there are uh, people, you know, going and hoarding and grabbing, that this is our season, our time to be generous. It, it, the very things that are, uh, are part of our makeup as believers, as followers, are going to be the very things that when we act as the people of God and how He has called us to act. It's going to be countercultural, but this is our opportunity. This is the very thing when people are grabbing and holding on to things that we're going to be able to be generous and give and share. And there'll be people around us who go, where is your peace coming from? And I, you know what? I, I am thrilled, church, about the opportunity that we have to actually just, you know, I sense there's a season of harvest coming. Honestly, there is a season of harvest coming. Let us not bow down to fear. Let us pursue God with all that we have and in our hearts just run hard after Him and uh, continue to live uh, out of His love, not out of His fear. And we really need to do that. Well, if you're joining with us for all around the world, big hello to you. It's great that you could join with us. We're in actually a part six of a season of, uh, uh, of, of Pursuing His Presence is the title of the sermon series that we've been doing. So uh, welcome, join. You'll be able to jump right on in. Uh, I think uh, the message today translates really well to the environment we find ourselves in because the environment we currently find ourselves one in is a, a changing one all of the time. I'm a sports fan. I'm a massive sports fan. I, I, I'm a, I guess a, a wannabe sports hero, but, you know, have had to. So this time of year, when it comes round to things like, you know, uh, the Olympics this year, the very thought that they might not be on that does something deep in my heart, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking, I can't imagine myself running down the 100 metre straight to win the gold medal anymore if it's not going to be on. What's going to be happening? It's crazy. There's, there's cancellation of major sporting events throughout the world at the moment. Um, some of our football season here, even though it's only started, it's just gone to, to playing without crowds, uh, which is crazy in of itself. You know, uh, I've been watching the uh, last couple of rounds of NRL and, and this weekend watched a couple of games where there were no crowds in that environment. There was uh, nothing going on there. And, you know, um, for me, that's not too dissimilar to what currently happens, you know, in a normal season, a regular season. I would still be going, you know, watching on my television. I've, I've been a spectator. I haven't played a competitive game of rugby in 23 years. I know you might be saying you don't look like it. You look like you could just jump back out on the field. Well, that's what my heart says, but my body says something totally different. I know that, right? But I, I normally watch tele, on telly. I, I will go, I'll go to three or four games in a season to watch live. Um, my beloved mighty Broncos, and I will go to watch them. Collective cheers just went up all around lounge rooms in Brisbane right there. And, and I'll do that. I'll go to watch, and I love them. But for me, the change that's taking place with no crowd, it's not too big a deal because I'm a spectator. I've been a spectator for a long time, right? 
Now there's hardened ones of you who are out there right now who you long for every home game because you've got your membership ticket, your season ticket holder, you're there at every single game. And for you, it's a little bit different because now you're withdrawing only to your lounge room where the atmosphere, although you're screaming at the television, is a lot different to what it might be when you're surrounded by that crowd of you know 40,000 people who are just cheering at every moment and the collective size of when it doesn't come true for your team. But things aren't too different for you, really. You're still a spectator. Sorry to break it to you, but you were always a spectator. Didn't matter whether you were watching live or now that you're watching on television, you're still a spectator. I think perhaps the real difference is to the players. The players now have to get used to an environment that's going to check their motivations real quick. Their motivation for playing is really going to be challenged right now without the crowd. How will it be? Are they they playing for the paycheck? We know they get paid real well. Are they playing for the paycheck? Are they playing for the accolade? Are they playing for the cheers that are going on normally? Are they playing for that moment in the win where they can do the lap of honour? and receive all of the hurrah from the the home crowd that's there to support them. It's really gonna start to show up in their motivation for playing. Are they playing simply for the love of the game now that no one's there to cheer them on? Will they close up shop because they're afraid of getting sick? Will they be forced to shut down? You know, we here at River Life have been really clear throughout this series of pursuing His presence that we, when we come and gather together in worship, are never mere spectators. You know, for us and this season of change where we're now watching from our lounge rooms and our living rooms and all of those sorts of things, you know, the season for us has changed. But I want you to think of it that you've never been a spectator and now's not the time to fall back into thinking that you are. Now more than ever, you're just like a player that's going to test your motivations. It's going to test exactly what's at the heart of things for you. Are you you in this game? Are you in it for the love of the game? Or more to point for us, are you in it to the love of God? What's going to be the key? What's going to be the thing that enables you to staying as a participant in the kingdom of God rather than shrinking back in this season where everyone's starting to shrink back, where fear is gripping people's hearts to wanting to pull them back into isolation. And I get the fact that we need to be doing all that our government says that we should. We should be listening and we will continue to listen and be, and be uh, you know, honouring what they say. I get the fact that we, don't, we want to be isolated so that we're not carriers of a virus that spreads with others, but we know that we've been talking from the beginning of this year that we carry a more infectious virus than Conan. We carry the the gospel of the good news of Jesus, and I think there's a season coming where it's going to spread far and wide, and we need you to still be in the game. What are you going to be doing so that you you don't slip back to being a spectator and miss the opportunity for God to take a hold of your life in unprecedented ways and join in the harvest that's there? I think the key is this. It's intimacy. It's intimacy. 
The, the truest motivation of what's happening in your life right now is where is God? Where is God when you make a decision about what you're buying at the shops? Where is God when you go past an elderly neighbour? Where is God when you're picking your kids up from school? Where is God in these moments and times and spaces for you? Because if you're not intimate with him, you'll soon drift away. Last year at River Life, we, we talked a lot about living behind the veil, being unveiled, if you like, in the glorious presence of God. You know, you can't pursue His presence unless you're unveiled. It's the freedom of being unveiled by the Spirit that allows us to be in His very presence. It's the spirit-enabled life that brings the glorious transformation we find when we behold Him. And living behind the veil is an intimate place of communion with Holy Spirit, a place where we find ourselves in the realm of the Spirit. And if we turn to God, instead of turning to ourselves, the veil is removed. And there's intimacy in the presence of God. He begins to show us and give us the fullness of the love that he has for us. You see, it's always there, but often it requires us to be a participator, a player in the scenario of wanting to engage with his presence. That's intimacy. See, when you live behind the veil, you live from God as opposed to living for God. Living from God is that opportunity that we have to be able to know the security as sons and daughters of the living God, to be able to be those people secure in our inheritance and knowing that we've got the well done, good and faithful one. You are my son, you are my daughter in whom I love. You don't need the crowds. You don't need the accolades at that point. You don't need someone cheering you on because you have the one and only, the King of all kings, the, the God of all glory saying to you, come on, you're the one, you're in. I'm thinking, wow, that's the intimacy of God. People living behind the veil understand that the greater always flows to the lesser. They know that the, the greater it is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I don't need to live in fear. I don't need to live in anxiety. I want to be living with the, the presence of his peace flowing through me in all that I do in every decision I make. We don't bow down to fear. Instead, we fight it with faith. The kingdom is at home in our hearts and the king is all powerful. So let's turn to a passage. It's going to be really familiar to you if you're here last year, but I wanted to connect the dots between last year and this year. You know, we this year are talking about being released and I just think we've just been released to the world, River Life. <laughs> Every church has just been released into the opportunity of, of families around the world and to living rooms around the world. 
So good for us. And I, I want to match that with a passage we talked about last year, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles there with you, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And in this passage, we see, and we want to investigate what it's talking about to be living behind the veil. In this chapter, we see a, a contrast that Paul is making as he writes this to the church in Corinth. And he's saying, listen, there's a contrast between the old covenant and the new covenant. The old covenant that was established and made with Moses is different to the new covenant that I've established and made through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. It seems to me that there are some False teachers who are making some accusations about Paul and about his credentials. And he says, you know, what are you talking about? Do I really need to prove myself by writing letters to you? Is that what I need to do? You wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Jesus working through us to be able to bring forth a church in Corinth. He then goes on to be able to say and describe the ministry of the Holy Spirit that is found in the new covenant we have through Jesus being supremely better than even the one that was with Moses. And, and, and he, he kind of cross-references to a passage out of Exodus chapter 34, okay? And so this is what's happening in and through this part of the passage. So I want to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 to 8, where it says this, Now, if the ministry that brought death was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could look, not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? Paul is explaining what was happening with Moses in this wonderful covenant and he looks at this passage from Exodus and he uses it to compare the two covenants. And he's saying as great as it was that Moses went up the mountain and received this covenant of these commandments, that when he then came back down with the people and met with them, his face was radiant with the glory of God to the point where it freaked them out and he would put a veil over after communicating, talking to them, not because it was just freaking them out, but because the glory in his face was starting to disappear. Every time he then went into the presence of God, he would unveil himself and being face to face as a man would be with his friend, the glory of God would be evident upon his face. As he came back and he started to then talk with the people and it would start to slowly fade off, he would put the veil back on so that they wouldn't see the disappearing glory. And we pick it up then at the end of this passage in verses 16 to 18. And Paul says this, But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Don't miss that. When everyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Yeah. Okay, here it is. Quick quiz time. 
Okay, you got your buzzers ready? Here it is. Here it is. First hand up in lounge rooms all over Britain, worldwide here, right? Okay. What was the old covenant written on? Okay, it's written on tablets of stone. Well done. Good, good, good. What, what, was, that com- what was that covenant? It was the commandments. Ten commandments. Great. You're doing well. I can see you're doing great. What was the new covenant written on? Be careful here. This is a trick question. The new covenant, it's written on our hearts. And take a close look at verse 6. What is this new covenant? Paul says we are ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. It's the Spirit that brings intimacy. It's the Spirit that in this passage says brings forth freedom, the kind of freedom that allows God's new covenant people to be as Moses was with the most intimate place with the Father. I kind of think about how I would have longed to have sat like, like Moses and Joshua in the tent of meeting, and then I catch myself and you say, you fool, John. Why would you want that when the promise of the new covenant is the glory of God lives in me? I don't just come into the reaction place of being in his glory, the glory of God himself as I allow myself to turn towards him, when I behold him, when I look at him, when he's my attention, when he's my focus, not when the things of the world become my focus, not when other people are telling me I should be worried about or panicked about or anxious about or any of those things, but when I look and my gaze is towards him, it's at that moment his glory fills me and it's by the presence of his spirit. Come on, give, give someone a corona elbow nearby. Get virtual spirit fingers, I don't know. Keep your social distancing. That's a great point. You see, what the Spirit has done for us in taking the work of Jesus into our lives by removing the veil is giving us the freedom and the boldness to enter into God's presence and look at His glory with uncovered faces. Freedom to be transformed into his likeness and his glory. God's not some distant concept. He's not a dry doctrine. He's to be experienced. He's to be encountered with all the same power that Moses did and more. Through Jesus and by the Spirit, we're being transformed into what he always intended. We're being transformed into his presence, into his image, renewed daily. This is true intimacy. This is the type of intimacy you're going to need in this season that we face right now. In all the uncertainty, this is what you're going to have to, if, if you're not pursuing his presence with an understanding of intimacy, you're going to quickly move from being a player to a spectator. You're going to need his presence. I once heard a definition of intimacy like this. It said that intimacy is to be fully known and fully accepted. What a beautiful thing. To be fully known and fully accepted. You know, I know in our relationships, maybe most particularly in a a married relationship, but in any of our, 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 our strong relationships, you want to be fully known and you want to be fully accepted. But many of us, we don't want to be fully known because we fear that if we are fully known, we won't be fully accepted. And yet with God, we have this intimacy of relationship where He fully knows us 
Warts and all, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And he still fully accepts us. No barrier. That's living from God's presence. That's not living for His approval. That's not living for His attention. That's not living for His well done. It's not living for the pat on the back. It's not living for, you, you're, you know, it's not as even if He's saying, I see the mess and you're kind of okay. He's saying, I see straight through it and I see that the heart of one I've created and I'm seeing Jesus in you right now because that's what I'm transforming you to become like. It's only done in the intimate place. The thing is, you have to come to the place where you can say that of God also. Not in the sense that you'll never fully know all there is to know about an infinite God. But more along the lines of, are you willing to let him into your deepest thoughts? You see, it's one thing to be fully known, but it's another thing to choose to let someone fully know you. To be fully known looks like you've been caught out, exposed. Find yourself in a place where I didn't want that to get out. But to choose to allow others to come in is a bridge of trust and faith. It's a bridge of intimacy that says you can come in, God. You can come in. I know you see it all, but I'm now inviting you into those places. I need to know you intimately. Pursuing him in intimacy, that we would know him more, that we would experience his love, to know that your heart is, 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 it, it has his complete and unconditional love. That's, that's what's going to drive the fear out. See the fear that's swelling, the anxiety that's just swelling around after that last packet of, of, of biscuits on a shelf or toilet paper or meat or whatever it might be. When that raises up, that, that's, that's because love's not at, at the foreground of everything. It's the Holy Spirit's job to produce Christ-like character in you. And this requires you to have an intimate experience or an encounter with God that becomes the new normal way of living in intimacy with Him. The Bible says, as the Spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like Him and reflect His glory even more, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. You cannot reproduce the, the character of Jesus on your own strength. Only Holy Spirit power makes the changes that God wants to make in our lives. The Bible says that God is working in you, giving you the desire to obey Him and the power to do what pleases Him. Christ-likeness is not produced by imitation, but inhabitation. Christ to live through us. It says in Colossians, for this is the secret Christ lives in you, the hope of glory. You've got to have your own personal encounter with God that changes everything. I've always loved rugby. I could tell you the rules. I used to be a phys ed teacher. I could coach it. I could train it. I could get it out there. I know some of the skills of it. But it wasn't until I played my first game of it 
that you experienced the putting into place of what you knew about the rules and what you loved about the game. It's when you stood out there and took the field and blew the whistle and allowed that first touch of that ball and all of a sudden you're in the game. See, we engage predominantly with God in three ways, our heads, our hearts and our hands. And one of those ways may stick out for you more than others, depending on your upbringing, depending sometimes on your personality. But I want to tell you that unless we learn to engage God in all three ways, you're going to miss out on something. Many of us in our Western, middle-class, evangelical kind of churches, we're head people, and that's okay, but it's not enough. It's okay, but it's not enough. We must learn intimacy comes through the heart. This is where worship becomes so important in pursuing His presence because it bypasses sometimes what is happening in the mind and links straight into the heart of things. Or it takes what we know in the head and brings the reality of it into being. I know the rules, I know how it should be played, but now I'm playing, now I'm on the field. Now I'm engaging it. And then our hands become the the service point, the ministry of these kingdom priests of where there's this beautiful connection of intimacy with the Father, not through just knowing Him, but experiencing Him, having felt an encounter with the love of God in each of our lives becomes then the outpouring of it to those around at head, heart and hands. They have to come together. And that's about allowing Holy Spirit to take control. Take control of your mind. Take control of your emotions. And some people are so scared stiff of that happening. They're afraid of losing control. Afraid of what others might think if they seem overcome or out of control. I want to do this as gently as I can. If you became a follower of Jesus and you said My life is yours, you're my Lord, you're in control. You gave up every right at that point to be in control. At that moment, you invited Holy Spirit to take up residence within you, to enter into your life. That Lordship issue is a surrendering of control. It's about losing control. Now, I know control is a fruit of the Spirit too, right? Self-control. You take a hold of the choice that you have to exercise the discipline, the fruit of self-control to say you're in control. (laughs) You're in control. That's the fruit of that spirit right there happening. So how do we live in this place of intimacy? How are you going to survive to not falling prey to being someone who sits on the sidelines as a spectator, but in this season that we have before us right now, how is it that you're going to You're going to take the field just for the love of God. You're going to be in His kingdom, advancing, allowing Holy Spirit in this place of intimacy. How how are you going to hang in there? Here's a couple of quick clues for you. The first is humility. We do not know it all. We're listening to people who don't know it all. 
They're doing their best and we honour them and we will respect them and we will listen to them because they know a heck of a lot more about their area of expertise than, than you or I do. We know that. But we worship one who knows everything. And in humility, we turn to him and we say, I cannot do this alone. I cannot do this by myself. It's turning to the Lord that Paul talks about. It's the turning of our face away from trying to find the answer in and of ourselves. In 2 Corinthians, we're reading before in chapter 3, verse 16. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, that's when the veil is taken away. That's when intimacy is an opportunity for us. When we don't look to ourselves and what we have under our control, but we turn to Him. That's humility. That's humility. It's one thing for the Holy Spirit to open up our hearts and prize us open like some of the long-lasted cans that are on your shelves at the moment. And it's another thing to be able to open up to Him instead of challenging Him to open us up first. That's humility. The second is desire. It's the self-conscious desire to find God wherever He is, to recognise Him as soon as He appears and miss nothing that you could receive from Him. It's those who hunger and thirst for righteousness that will be filled. Combine your humility with your desire and guess what the outcome is? Intimacy. It's then that you can do all you can to be able to build this intimacy of relationship. Be sure you're a worshiper. Don't wait just for every Sunday. We should, we've been talking about this a long time. It's, in, it's so important to gather together at these times. Don't, don't neglect the habit as it tells us in Hebrews, of gathering together. Now more than ever, it's significant that you and your homes, wherever you are right now, all around the world, that we turn to gather together. It might be online, but we're still together, right? Gathering home groups, life groups together, get people out on the line with you to watch what you're doing. Communicate on that chat right now. Let people know I'm there for you. This is really important. But we want to pray regularly, read our Bibles, gain the familiarity of His ways, becomes the expression then of this intimacy to the world around us. You see, what's going to be uh, the greatest enemy at this season for you is busyness. Busyness is the enemy of intimacy. Intimacy is about attentiveness, about being still and present. We're made for this type of intimacy. Now, some of you, are thinking, well, I'm not so busy. I can guarantee your head is at the moment. <laughs> I can guarantee your emotions are, are pretty busy. But some of you, if you're not already in a state of, you know, quarantine or isolation, may be heading that direction soon. I hope not, but I, I, you know, some of us already are. What a perfect opportunity for intimacy. What a perfect opportunity to turn isolation into Sabbath. 
into rest, into being in his presence, into drawing near, into doing that as family together every day, gathering the kids, grabbing, you know, others and saying, I have you soaked with the Lord today. We're about to get intimate and we have the best. Now you think of this, think about this as the church, a sleeping giant, right? All across the world being isolated. If we don't forget, if we, if we remember that through intimacy, we become the players and not the spectators and we remain intimate, guess what's going to happen after weeks of isolation? If you're practicing the presence of God daily and you're coming into worship with Him and then you're released and you're sent out, it's going to be like you've had Sabbath in your heart every day. You're going to be so full and so fired up and so filled out that when you're actually released, church, to the world around us, when this thing of coronavirus comes down and we're praying it does real soon, is that you are going to be released into a harvest field that is white. That's our opportunity for intimacy right now. And the pursuit of His presence involves intimacy in our worship. Worship should change us, bring about transformation in our lives where we allow God to be at work in our hearts. That's the invitation to be drawn into intimacy with God through the Holy Spirit. You see, conforming is about behavior. It's about what we get out of it. Conforming can be what happens when we're swayed by the crowd. I'm just going along for the ride. Now's your opportunity. Now's your opportunity to worship. Now's your opportunity to pursue intimacy. What's motivating you to stay on the field instead of becoming one of the crowd? And a key to becoming the community of God that we desire amongst us in our city is dependent on how we we are intimate in the pursuit of His presence. You have perfect opportunity right now. What I'd really love you to do is to just, to just stop. We're going to start worshipping. And as we start worshipping, practice a little social distancing. Go lie down somewhere by yourself where you can still hear what's happening. Spread out a little. Let what's happening now just wash over you. Let this worship just fill you. Turn towards Him. Turn your face towards God right now. And as the worship team leads us again, just start to posture your heart in this place of intimacy. Behind the veil. You've already got the Father's approval. Live out of that space. Take every day as opportunity for Sabbath. Let me pray as we again worship. Oh Lord, God, we are just so hungry. We're so hungry to see you at works. Continue to transform us, your people. We believe that this is a significant moment in time. One we didn't ask for, but one that through your power and the presence of your Holy Spirit, we're gonna take full advantage of. We need you, Holy Spirit. We humble ourselves and we come with desire. We come with hunger 
to say, change our lives, set the captives free, bring people into a new and open relationship with You, Holy Spirit. Let the freedom of our Father invade every heart that's listening right now. Holy Spirit, reign. Bring healing, Lord. Bring wholeness, bring shalom, peace. Open hearts to new understanding. Bind people together in love and unity and send your power, Lord, to heal and restore. Move us with a greater passion for you, a compassion for others. In the midst of all that's going on, let us stand as your people so that your glory might be displayed. We ask it in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this River Life podcast. Make sure you subscribe to keep up to date with all the latest content. If this podcast has raised any questions for you, contact us via church at riverlifechurch.org.au or through Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for listening.